You are listening to First Church Charlotte. I am excited how God works through all the dilemmas of our year, <laughs> through all of the strangeness of this season, the Lord is still working. In fact, I'm going to preach about that today. My title is God in the Shadows. God in the Shadows. We are going to get right into it, and there will be several passages of Scripture that I read as we proceed. Those of you joining us today online, we're thankful for, for you to be with us. Uh, we miss you all. Many of you are exercising uh, good stewardship uh, because of risks that are in your family, uh, in your physical health. We understand that. Uh, those of you who are um, wanting to come back, I want to remind you that masks work. Uh, you can see this in the data. Uh, some of the cities in Asia are the most populated cities in the world. People are so close to each other that they pack them onto the trains, but they have very few cases and the reason why is because uh, mass compliance is so high, and so they have almost no cases. They're open for business. Um, so masks work. If you're wanting to come back and you are worried, feel free to wear your mask. We're doing everything we can uh, to be safe for you, um, and we want to get as quickly as possible back to regular church. Can I have a big amen from people who love church? Amen. Have you ever asked yourself why God seems to hide himself? Have you ever considered how God seems to do his will and accomplish his work seemingly in the shadows of, of our life? As a young preacher, I very much wanted to see uh, public demonstrations in an irrefutable way. Uh, at the time, it felt perfectly reasonable for me to ask for a miracle in a specific way that would demonstrate the power of God, and I did not realize it at the time, but I thought it was right for uh, me to decide how God should demonstrate himself, and I thought it was appropriate for me to make specific requests of God for things that were in Basically, how he chose to manifest himself in uh, the world. Now, I, I, this probably wasn't sin in any regard. I will confess that as uh, in my youth, I may have uh, asked for things that were primarily uh, in some way uh, linked to a ministerial vanity that I would have. What preacher doesn't want to be powerful? <laughs> what preacher doesn't want to have fire fall from heaven? Uh, I wanted that, and I don't always know for sure whether or not I wanted it because I really cared about the people, or I wanted to be known as the powerful preacher. Now, if it was the latter, I asked God to forgive me, but even before then, there was, a, there was this frustration, and I think confession's good for the soul, so let's just keep confessing until we get to your row, and then you, confess of your, you can confess of your many sins. Um, as a child growing up in the church, the thing that was most frustrating to me was that God seemed to do works, but always in a way where if you did not want to believe, you could explain it away. God did do miracles, but always in the shadows of a person's life. God did bring deliverance. God did make provision. God did protect, but always in a way where if you wanted to find a way to explain it away, if you wanted not to believe, uh, you could find your reason. You could make your excuse. I wanted God to step out of the shadows. What I really wanted God to do was to take an 18-wheeler and float it above one of the downtown buildings. And on one side of the 18-wheeler, it says something like, repent immediately thou doomed soul. And on the other side, it says, by the way, visit the church on Howie Circle. 
<laughs> Those of you who know our church history know we were on Howie Circle. Um, so the point being, uh, God did not choose to demonstrate himself that way. He did not choose to levitate the 18-wheeler above one of the bank towers uh, downtown with flashing lights saying, man, that young brother Nathan is some fine young man. I, I don't understand why he wouldn't do that, but he chose not to do that. He chose to work in the shadows of my youth. And he chose to work in the shadows of the church I grew up in. And he chose to work in the shadows of my ministerial career as I traveled, my wife and I traveled as evangelists trying to have revival in communities and churches. God chose in my young pastoring years where I worked with my father uh, as an associate pastor. Uh, God chose to work in the shadows and even today as a lead pastor of this amazing church that I deeply love and think about you guys every day and pray for you uh, nearly every day or I work through uh, the sections of the church, uh, remembering you in prayer. Um, Some days I'll pray for this section. I can uh, recognize in my memory banks where people kind of sit. It helps me remember. Um, Even now, God chooses to work in the shadows unless I get too down on the subject and I get too down on me or you get too down on you or God forbid you get too down on me. I want to show you that God usually works in the shadows. The most Amazing people I have been privileged to know have been people who have gone through suffering and survived with a testimony on their lips. Uh, The most effective people I have known are people who have known defeat, they've known suffering, they've known struggle, they've known loss, and through it all, somebody say through it all, they have chosen to believe the promises of God. Through every tear, they have chosen to keep a praise on their lips. Through every difficulty, they have chosen to put their hands together, lift their hands in praise, and say they wanted to exalt the name of the Lord. It's not that they have no scars. It's that their scar becomes a testimony of the God who kept them. It's not that they have no losses. It's that the loss gets written into a song of praise and worship. It's not that they haven't known defeat. It's that they preached a good message or told a good testimony about it. And everything in their life, not just the good stuff, not just the excitable stuff, everything in their life has become a testimony of God's provision, God's protection, God's power, and they're still here saying, great is my God. Do you see? And they become the most, to me, uh, powerful testimonies. Uh, the most lovely people, the kind of people you want to spend time with. It has uh, been my occasion to meet a few people who had a compulsive need to always give you the, uh, it's almost like they would melt if they told you some difficulty they went through. They could not act like any Sunday was just ordinary. Um, You talk to them and every Sunday, uh, Gabriel comes down, bows before the pulpit and says, my God, I've never heard preaching like that before in my life. And um, although that happened, to me every Sunday, (laughs) Um, I am also salted by people who always remind me that I am not, uh, uh, you get the idea, that is life and part of making it with testimony is to tell people about the test. I'm going to have to preach a long time today, I can see this coming right now. Here's the point. I want to give recognition to every one of you who are still here. Everything hasn't been perfect. You're still here. You lost jobs too. You're still here. You had people hurt you too. You're still here. You picked yourself up bloody and bleeding and came back here. You're still here. I want to commend you. I want to give honor to you today. Because here's the reality. You had to learn how to see God in the shadows of your life. Because you served God. God didn't serve you. And the result of that is seeing God in the shadows. You're able to keep your faith because you're not always demanding the latest special effects from heaven. 
I commend you today. Uh, I received from my father a love for poetry. He's an English major, if you ever wonder. And growing up, he would occasionally have a book of poems laying around the house, and occasionally he would come in there and he would read us a poem, and we would roll our eyes because uh, that was what kids do. And now uh, I have the gift of having children roll their eyes as I do that. Uh, One of my favorite uh, stanzas that reflects that a sacred nature uh, that's uh, not, say, the poetry of the Bible, but uh, one of my favorite poems is uh, called, um, which is not the greatest title in the world, but it's a metaphor of the hound of heaven. And uh, I often find myself, more than any other stanza of poetry, I find myself uh, muttering this uh, to usually my um, lonely, appreciative ears. This is Francis Thompson and uh, the beginning of The Hound of Heaven. I fled him. He's writing about God. He's writing a personal testimony. He's telling the example of his story. He says, I fled him. Down the nights and down the days. I fled him. Down the arches of the years. I fled him. Down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him. This is the story of a testimony. I tried to do it my way. I tried to think my thoughts. I tried to demand my way, but God never gave up on me. Aren't you thankful that God never gave up on you today? Uh, this is uh, part of the mystery of God, the mystery of God's pursuit of us, the mystery of God's uh, commitment, uh, sacrifice for each one of us. And uh, we know him through faith. We don't see him visibly. No man hath seen God at any time by the manner of the flesh, by the manner of uh, physical photons hitting your photon receptors in your eyeballs. Uh, No man has seen him that way, and yet we all seek to know him. We all seek to see him. How then do we see him? God chose faith as the bridge between our hearts and his heart. God chose faith as Jacob's ladder of approach, heaven to earth. God chose faith for faithful men and women to overcome the tests, trials, disappointments, and heartbreaks of their life and see God working in the shadows of their heart. Without faith, it is impossible to please God for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the I'm going to try this side. He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, admittedly, as a young person coming to faith, this feels exhausting because you, particularly in this generation, you're constantly beset by people who do not believe because they have not seen. Like Thomas, they say, if I don't see, I will not believe. And our prayer is that God, pursuing them down the days and nights of their life, will find a way to reveal himself to them. But we see God through faith. We know God through faith. We do not know God through evidence. We know him through faith. We experience him through spiritual perception that is made possible by faith. We experience his presence by spiritual Perception and emotional experience that is what? Made possible by faith. We approach him. We know him. We study his word. We seek his protection. We celebrate his provision. How? Through faith. And yet God works in our life. He just works often in the shadows of our life story in the uh, Old Testament of Job, and Job becomes a test of a question, and that is this. Does the righteous man serve God in a quid pro quo, you do for me, I do for you, you scratch my back, I scratch your back manner, or does the righteous man in some manner have a heart that pursues the divine ideal, pursues the highest good that he or she is able to perceive? Does the righteous man or woman have a heart after God or just a formula 
Does the righteous man and woman leave the comfortable nature of this world and pursue the difficult journey of knowing God, looking for a city whose builder and maker is God? What is the motivation of the righteous? Consider that. Don't rush past that idea. What is the motivation of the righteous? The oldest recorded book of the Bible we have is Job. It is the central question of the book of Job, and it becomes the answer to the hatred, strife, and um, uh, even violence that would exist between Jesus and the house of Israel that rejected him. It starts with Job. Remember, what is the motivation of the righteous? It's demonstrated in the Pharisees, the most zealous of the righteous. What's their problem? Wrong motivation. Do you see? The problem is wrong motivation. And since their motivation is wrong, what does Jesus say to them? He says, a pimp and a prostitute will get to heaven before you. Yeah, harsh words. This is the problem. What is the motivation of the righteous? Job, is this quid pro quo? Do you use me? Do you serve me? Or do you have some system whereby uh, you follow the formula and I serve you? I become your special effects in the sky. What is the motivation of the righteous? We should care about this because this is thematic to the word of God. It's a thematic to the whole story. What is the motivation of the righteous? Job expresses this as beautifully as you'll find anywhere. Uh, he expresses his desire to actually have an audience with God, to stop with this pursuit business, to stop with this faith business, and to have an audience with God in the manner that you could schedule an audience with a judge. And he says, if I could get that audience, if I knew where he was, uh, if I could make an appointment at the gates of the city, which is where the judges would work, if I could go there, if I could come to his seat, I would order my cause. I would make an argument for myself. I would fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words that he answered me. I could hear them. I would have to have this faith business. I wouldn't have to seek. I wouldn't have to knock. I wouldn't have to ask. I just would listen and I would have an audience and I could step out of this God of the shadows and into this judge in the light. I would know the works which he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he plead against me with his great power? No, he would put strength in me. There, the righteous could dispute with him. So I should be delivered forever from my judge. But that's not my life. That's not what I've experienced. Let me, let me talk about my life. I go forward and he's not there. Verse 8 of chapter 23, Job. I go backward, but I can't see him back there either. Verse number 9. On the left hand. Somebody say on the left hand. Where he doth work. I look for him over here. I can't see him over there. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. But here is faith. Here is faith. Here is faith. When God won't meet you for an argument, when God won't give you a court date, what is the response? I hope the response is faith. He knows the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. This is the problem with Job right here. This is it in a nutshell. And so Job is trying to settle this issue. And heaven is trying to settle this issue. And Job's asking himself, do I have faith? When the Son of Man comes to earth, will he find faith? Job is saying, can I find faith? And God's saying, what is the motivation of the righteous? I'm laying it on heavy today. It's good stuff. Makes us better believers and better Christians to weigh in our spirits the word of God and to meditate upon it. And so Job, having asked his questions, having presented his dilemma, finds faith. He knows the way that I take. God often works on the left hand. Now in the imagery, the poetic imagery here, there is terms that are not unique to the Bible. They are unique to the time, the generation, the place. Go to the Near East. In the time, almost any generation, you'll find two images. The right 
hand of a king's power and the left hand of a king's ministry. Again, this is not just a Bible idea. This is a poetic expression that is shown in many cultures, many places, many times. The right hand of demonstration, the left hand of mystery and accomplishment. The right hand of example, the left hand of mystery. You demonstrate on the right side, and yet this is where God has hid himself from me, and the left hand of mystery where I know God is working because I have faith, but I cannot see how God is working. Church, hear me today. Listen to this simple truth that will resound through the nights and the days of your life. God works on the left hand. He demonstrates on the right hand, but he works on the left hand of your experience. So let me say it in a little more modern way. God does his best work in the shadow of your lives. God does his greatest works in the mysteries of your experiences. God does his greatest work in the shadows of your experience. Let me find another way to demonstrate this truth to you. Um, It's easy for us to develop opinions about public figures, and we develop Figure, uh, opinions about people, uh, even historical figures, we'll, we'll know this about them and know that about them, and that's kind of the story that defines our opinion of them. And right now in America, there's this, this uprising of people who are judging our forefathers, and um, they're not wrong in many cases. The things they accuse forefathers of uh, were, are in fact shown and factual. Um, I would want, you know, I, I'm the kind of, uh, referring to politics, Politics. My politics are often dif- disappointing because they don't make good slogans. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not the kind of person who um, uh, my my politics never make good slogans. So this side shouts, uh, "Build the statues," and this and this sh- this side shouts, "Tear them down." And I'm always in the middle. Like, well, maybe some of them need to go, and some of them don't. Let's kind of get a system here and 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 work in an intelligent, mostly organized manner. But that doesn't fit on a slogan card. You've never seen anyone marching that says, hey, guys, maybe some things need to change, but let's be organized and try to come up with a system of justice here. Nobody shouts about that. (laughs) I'm always stuck in the... Anyway, so the point being, um, our opinions of people oftentimes reflect what we can see, not what we can't. So uh, there are some kinds of trees that develop vast root structures underground, um, and they, they, you'll never see them. And so you can't appreciate the tree in its place. You only can see what is above the ground. There are some uh, species of bamboo that you plant them, and for years, like six or seven years, nothing happens. And you walk by and you think, what a failure that bamboo shoot is. Man, that is such an under achiever. Uh, that is such a failure. I'm just, I, and beneath the surface where you cannot see what's happening, a vast root system is taking place. And then finally, a moment comes after uh, so many years has passed that in one year, that bamboo tree will grow faster than all the trees that started earlier. It will grow to these magnificent heights in very short amounts of time because it was developing underground where you could not see it. Now, this is not very satisfying to our modern minds because we want to see, we want, us, we want the world to show us the money. Uh, we don't know how to value uh, things as a culture and as a generation. We don't oftentimes know how to value the things that run deep in the human soul. Everything must be printed on a placard. Everything must fit on a certificate. Everything must be included in your uh, resume. And if it isn't, then it doesn't have much value. Uh, this does not help us at all in understanding the spiritual world because the spiritual world is all about developing roots that will support the spiritual world is about perceiving uh, pursuing something that you often cannot perceive you cannot measure it and yet you are called to ask and to seek and to knock so let me use an example from American history right now uh, probably the most popular uh, founding father of America is Alexander Hamilton there is a hugely successful uh, play that has been written a Broadway play that has been written that has sold out everywhere it's been shown 
and it is based on his life. And he was a notable individual in American history. Uh, Just so you will kind of place him, he is the father of sound currency. One of the reasons why American dollar had value from the beginning uh, and did not uh, have the ups and downs of so many of the other nations that are in our hemisphere and in our latitude um, is because uh, of the work of James Hamilton or Alexander Hamilton, I should say, uh, standing for a strong dollar. Uh, When the Congress wanted to not pay back the debts that were incurred by states during the Revolutionary War, it wasn't the United States that had incurred those debts. It was the states that had incurred those debts. The states wouldn't have paid them back. It would have destroyed the soundness of the dollars that are in your pocket and started uh, national tradition. Uh, Alexander Hamilton is the one who said, absolutely not. We will take all of the debts of all the states. We've got to have sound monetary policy. Interesting, successful uh, man of passion. Uh, had faith. He really did. You, you all know what he looks like, whether you know it or not. His face is on the, the front of every $10 bill that you've ever used in your life. <laughs> and so, um, interesting little man. He his life is dramatic. It is amazing. It's filled. It, it, it makes a great play. It makes a great movie. Uh, his life, in many ways, paraly- uh, parallels the life of someone, say, like King David. Um, Hamilton was an orphan. He kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, rags to riches story. And then, in his success, like King David, he had a hugely uh, slanderous affair uh, that humiliated his family and his own political prospects. There were political coups against him. Uh, He uh, finally uh, did much harm to himself. Most of his worst pains were self-inflicted mistakes. Even his death is absurd. A challenge to a duel in an age and a time when duels were the best of yesterday. Uh, And so dies from a gunshot wound suffered at the hand of Aaron Burr in American history. Uh, His life is dramatic. It makes plays. It's the kind of thing Hollywood loves. Uh, His successes, money, power, sound currency, central banking, these are the successes that the world loves. And so the world gathers around his memory and says, what a leader, what a great man, what a powerful example. And for the most part, with exceptions for bad choices and poor moral living, I think most of us stand there and say, great Founding father. Flawed, yeah. But, man, he got a few things right that really helped us. Okay. So that's one example of a life that's lived in the sunshine. But God often works in the shadows of our life. Let me tell you another story, not about Alexander Hamilton, but about his wife, Elizabeth Hamilton, who had a very different life. They don't make movies around her life. They don't do Broadway plays around her life. Uh, She was a woman of tremendous faith. uh, And she, uh, like her husband, was a Presbyterian. And um, whereas Alexander Hamilton had had been very zealous in uh, his Presbyterian faith in his youth, as he became more older and more, shall we say, uh, politically cynical, uh, he kind of slipped from that faith. But his wife, uh, Liza, as she went by, never lost her faith. And she had, she had uh, eight children before the age of 40. And when he died, shortly before she was 40, her husband, she had eight children and a two-year-old baby. Uh, you would think that this is a difficult path to trod. Uh, He did not leave her the kind of wealth that would allow her to live a life of ease. Um, Instead, she found herself basically, because of circumstances, found herself basically impoverished and had to decide, now what? Now, no one's writing movies about her life. No one's talking about her life. It's the Alexander Hamiltons that get the plays made about them that are money guys, power guys. People like Eliza, they just are in the shadows of the American project. But Eliza never lost her faith, and she never stopped believing she could make a difference. In spite of being newly widowed, having 
Many children having a two-year-old at home, rather than self-pity, rather than shame, the newspapers had attacked her along with their attack upon him when uh, her husband had had a very embarrassing affair with Maria Reynolds. Uh, She never sought to pity herself. Instead, she looked around and asked herself, what could she do? In one three-year period, at the turn of the 19th century, she buried her sister, she buried her eldest son, she buried her father, and she buried her husband. In one three-year period, she's left an impoverished single mother whose youngest child was only two years old. And you say, what a tragedy. That's the end of the story. No, but God loves the shadows in which to work. This woman of strength and faith decided that she knew about orphans. Her husband had been orphaned. She had herself taken in orphans as a foster parent. And she decided she was going to make a difference. But she doesn't have the resources. She doesn't have the politics. She doesn't have the power. God loves to work in the shadows. And through the efforts of Eliza, the first private orphanage in New York City is founded, and she pours her life into caring for children who have no one to care for them. Instead of sitting at home and counting her woes, instead of worrying primarily about her children, focused on her needs, she poured herself into the needs of others. And today, and in the years to come, she would found orphanages, she would raise money for orphanages, She would raise money for people in need. She would lay the cornerstone to orphanages. She was tireless in her effort to raise money for the poor people. She remained involved until her 90s. She died at 97. And even in her 90s, she was showing up at the orphanages, uh, volunteering, working, serving. Let me remind you of what the world likes to look for. The world likes stories about power. The world likes stories about money. The the world loves stories about men of power and money and passion. They love it when it's sexy. They love it when it's moneyed. And they love it when it's powerful. But the hand of God is often done not in the right hand of demonstration. The hand of God works in the shadows of our life when people like Eliza show up day after day and they pray day after day and they support day after day and they believe they can make a difference day after day. No, they won't make a Hollywood show about you, but God will use you and his show is going to last for all eternity. I want to remind you that God God does his best work in the shadows of our life. This is a theme shown in the spiritual development of every individual of effectiveness from Genesis to Revelation. I should say that again because I'm a preacher and we love to repeat ourselves. This theme I'm talking about is repetitive from Genesis to Revelations. I think the most obvious example of this is the story of Elijah, who wants more than anything to see a revival, a return to Yahweh, a return to the way of Jehovah, a return to God by his people, and he desires that. But they are torn by a lust for the gods of this world. They practice their spiritual harlotry and they are evidenced by the backslidden heart of Ahab and the manipulative, cruel, amoral heart of his wife Jezebel. And so they have decided, excuse me, Elijah decides within himself, he says, what the people need is the right hand of demonstration. Because if they can get a right hand of demonstration, then they'll overthrow these ungodly kings. They'll let Ahab know that the temples of Baal have to be cast down. What the people need is the right hand of demonstration. So let's have a prayer meeting. Let's call a challenge to the prophets of Baal. You stand over there with the Baalites and us Christians will stand over here with the Christians. Just teasing. Y'all aren't Baalites. But if you were, I would be standing over here just so you know. And so, and uh, whoever answers by fire, that's going to be who we serve. This surely will work. What people need is demonstration. What people need is a 
18-wheeler orbiting, levitating over a downtown tower with signage on it. That's what people need. Let's have this. Y'all pray over there. Let's pray over here. God's about to teach Elijah a lesson and something more important than that. God's going to teach everyone who reads this story a lesson about how to change the world. Oh, y'all didn't hear what I just said. God's not just teaching Elijah a lesson. He's teaching everyone who reads the story of Elijah a lesson that is this truth. How to bring revival. How to change the world. How to make a difference. This theme, Genesis to Revelation, is shown in the spiritual development of every man or woman used of God. Let's have a powerful demonstration. It'll be awesome heavenly special effects. Here's the altar. Here's the water. We need 450 loud, angry people dancing in a circle. And then we need one happy preacher saying, maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe you should suffer. Everybody knows suffering works. Here, borrow my knife. And God answers. But it's not about the answer because Israel doesn't change. It's about the lesson. Y'all, you need to hear what I just said. It's not about the answer because the nation doesn't change. It's about the lesson. The nation stays backslidden for the most part. Uh, The nation stays in their idolatry for the most part. What is the story for? God being futile? No. You learning and me learning is the story. And so, fire falls. There ain't a preacher who ever lived who did not want to stand on a platform and say, let God enter by fire. And then, that's what I'm talking about right there. When that happens, I'm totally getting a TV show in a private jet. I don't even care. I don't even care. I'll fly back, but I'm having a, pri- a TV show in a private jet. And I'll be like, fire, 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 follow me. I'm about to get myself up here singing is what I'm talking about. Show these little suckers how to sing around here. And a preacher's ever preacher didn't want to have fire fall from heaven. Elijah had to happen. What happened? Nothing. The, the, the prophets of Baal are there, are killed. How? You can sweep a mob up in a moment. But the emotion of a mob doesn't lead to a changed life. You got to make a decision. It's not about emotion. The motion's going to pass. Your decision is going to show up. And so, what happens after this to Elijah? Well, he goes into despair. He goes into despair deeper than almost any prophetic example you'll find anywhere in the word of the Lord. He is in despair. He doesn't know what to do. And so, he runs for his life because Jezebel's going to get him. Wait, I thought fire fell. It did fall. It's not about the story. It's about the lesson. Fire fell. Why are you running, uh, uh, Elijah? Well, I thought that the nation would change once I had the right hand of demonstration. But the nation doesn't change, does it? I guess not. What are we going to do? Oh, when in doubt, we run. Which is a great example when hiking in grizzly country. When in doubt, run. Or maybe not. I don't know. He's confused. He sits down under a tree and he says, take my life. I'm, worth, I'm, I'm worthless. I'm no better than my father's. Now, wait a minute. Uh, Elijah, this seems we're a little confused here. Do you want to live or you want to die? Um, if you wanted to die, you could have stayed. But you chose to run to save your life. You don't want Jezebel to kick, kill you, but you want God to kill you? This sounds like confused, depressed believers. Okay, I'm running for my life. I wish you'd kill me. Okay, see the second example of his confusion. First, he says, I'm worthless. I'm the only one. No, no. First, he says, I'm worthless. Then he says, I'm the only righteous one. Now, which is it? Are you worthless or are you righteous? Do you see the confusion in the text? He wants to die, but not by Jezebel. And he's worthless, but by the way, he's the only one righteous. This is a picture of the result of utter futility that sweeps through us when we realize the work of God is not going to be something that is done through the special effects department. It's not going to be done through demonstration of power. God is not a trickster. God is not a traveling circus. God is more than those things. And he only is interested in people who will choose 
they're going to follow him. The lesson isn't over. And so here's Elijah in the cave. And what happens first? A wind begins to blow. Do you see the lesson now? First it was a story, but it was always a lesson. The wind begins to blow. And Elijah goes to the entrance of the cage, the cave. Surely God has showed up. This is it. Praise God. The word of the Lord is going to speak to me. There's going to be this manifestation. Now, in the text, we read this because we read it as um, Gentiles. This image in Hebrew tradition is literally the image of God, the great wind. It's the same image in the day on the day of Pentecost when the great wind blows. Do you see? It's the same thing. The Jews reading this understand the importance of it. He's not just saying it was a windstorm. He's saying what the world thinks is the demonstration of the presence of God. I went to the door of the cave and looked out and there was nothing happening. Not spiritually. God wasn't in the wind. And then the earthquakes. Oh my goodness. This is the very foot beat, footsteps of God through the earth. And surely this is it. And uh, maybe you wouldn't want to be in a cave during an earthquake. But Elijah's there and he's looking out the opening of the cave. And this is it. And uh, God's not in the earthquake. And then a fire. Know the image of fire. These are all Hebrew images. The fire comes. And Elijah's like, yay, more fire. Do you see? Back to the lesson of the moment. Will you answer by fire? And the Lord gives him the wind and he gives him the quake and he gives him the fire. And God's not in that. And then there's a still, small voice. And God was in the still, small voice. Here's the interesting thing. Elijah will miss this moment if he looks at it as a problem to be solved. How do I manipulate God and to do what I want? It's not a problem to be solved. It is a mystery. We try to solve problems. We ponder, even enjoy mysteries. Because it is the mystery of God, believe it or not, which is given to us as comfort. What we want is answers, but answers lead to more questions. Answers are like the coastline of an island emerging from the sea. And every answer you get leads to more coastline. What God gives us is mystery because God does his best work in the shadow. Back to Job. Remember the problem of Job? What is the motivation of the righteous? When Job challenges God, God shows up. Job is upset. Job is angry. Job is hurting. He's pained. Uh, He's asking all these questions of God. And what God does is show up, right? And uh, surely God will show up and give him answers, right? That's what the whole book is about, right? That's the issue of the righteous, right? That's what we're all seeking from God, right? Answers. You owe us. Really? Not so much. God shows up and what what does he do? God gives him a better class of questions. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, who measured all this? What were the bases that I used for this, for this world? Is there a cornerstone somewhere that I laid? And further, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, where were you, buddy? Uh, hmm, how about a better qu- class of question than the one you're asking? Who shut up the seas with doors? Who said the sea shall come to here and no further? Who set limits upon it? Who stays the proud waves? God shows up with a better class of questions. And the reason why you're not shouting amen right now is because you don't know what it all means yet. I don't blame you. I've been serving God most of my life and I still don't know what it all means yet. But this is what I know. God's questions are more comfort than the world's answers. What happens to Job before when he only had his questions? He is terrorized in his spirit. But when God gives him a better set of questions, what happens? You can read the story yourself. Job is comforted by the mystery of God. Hear me. The riddles of man are more or less satisfying uh, than the, uh, let me me restate that because I'm messing myself up here. The riddles of God are more satisfying than the solutions of man. God does not work in the sunshine. He demonstrates in the sunshine what God does is works in the shadows of our life. I'm almost done. Musicians, you can come. And I want to try to 
impart something to you. My, the, the highest thing I feel like a, a communicator of spiritual themes can do is to impart something that you take with you. It has handles on it. You can pick it up. You can carry it with you. And it changes the path of approach to God. And it gives you comfort. It gives you direction. It gives you power. It gives you authority uh, in the realm of the spiritual. And I so much want to do that. And so we're talking about this idea of how God works in the shadows of our life. He has chosen to, as it were, disguise himself so that we could only see him through faith. There's so much here. I could do a whole series on this. This truly is the path of love. It's the problem that the prince has. Do you love me because of who I am or do you love me for me? And so what does the prince do to look for an appropriate bride who loves him not for the kingdom but for himself? Is he disguises who he is and limits your ability to know what he has. Because if you love him for what he has, you've missed the point of love. And you've now entered into a manipulation with the context. You now are trying to not choose him or her, depending on uh, your context. But you now are trying to have, not be one with somebody. And so the problem of that is always answered by, I'm not going to show you what I am. I may even disguise who I am. So when you love me, I know it's real. It's not manipulation. This is back to the problem of Job. What is the motivation of the righteous? And I know I've laid it on heavy and deep here today. And you're looking at me like my brain is tired. That's okay. It's all right. This we need sometimes to have deep calling to deep in our life. What is the motivation of the righteous? What is the motivation of the righteous? Back to me, that old young guy who could pray, God, I want to see a hundred people get revived, a Holy Spirit, a gift of the Holy Spirit in one revival. And then later on in prayer, wonder why I'm asking it. Is it because I care about their souls? Do I even know them? Do I weep for them? Or is it because I want to be the powerful evangelist, the motivation of the righteous matters it truly is the path to the presence of God hence the example repetitive example in the New Testament of the Pharisees I want you to see God demonstrates in the light but he works in the shadows why would he do this and like Job why would God choose to hide himself on the right hand of demonstration even when we know he works on the left hand. Why would he do this? Because doing something is not hard for God. God can say, let there be. And honey, there will be. God can say, let the heavens be formed. God can say, let the stars be formed and a trillion, trillion stars in the heavens will begin to shine. Doing something is not hard for God. What's hard for God? Doing something through you. That's stinking hard. And so God has chosen not to do a thing because it is the end of the point of our love for him and his love for us. It's easy for God to do something. What's hard is to do something through you. Do something through me. And he's chosen the church to do what? To manifest him. 33 and a half years he walked he was in a human body and you could touch that body you could see that body he grew tired the fullness of the Godhead in that body and then that body died and was taken away and it was good for you because he had another way to demonstrate to demonstrate and that was the church and the church became his body we demonstrate who he is and this, remember, it's easy for God to do stuff. It's hard for him to do it through us. In fact, it's so hard it killed him. Maybe you'll get that driving home. 
and yet God chose you. I want to commend every one of you who has showed up and showed up and showed up and showed up. Those of you who have served God for many years, they're not making plays about your life. Your life is more like Eliza. You just show up and do what you can do and you love and you give and you share and you check on people and you speak faith to people and you're patient with people and you demonstrate God because that is the job of the church to demonstrate God in this world. Let's all stand all across the house. God does his best work in the shadows of our life. Lord Jesus, I pray for every individual here. Don't let us slip away from the central idea that's expressed from beginning to end of the scripture. And that is you have chosen us. You have forgiven us. You have given us your righteousness. You have given us your power and you placed us on a mission to represent you in this world. You gave us demonstration, yes, but it was demonstration through our faith. That's why you said, greater works than these shall ye do. It was not simply what you could do, but it's what you could do through people that would be that manifestation and demonstration of the divine here in this hour, in this this time, in this people. Lord Jesus, as a church, we pray that you would so honor us with the demonstration of your healing. We pray that you would honor us with the demonstration of your provision and your protection, yes. And we pray you would honor us to be the communication, the word of faith, the teaching, the testimony, the praise, the worship that leads people to a relationship with you. They repent of their sins. They're adopted into your family. They're given your name. They're filled with your presence. They become the living, breathing, walking tabernacle of the Lord. Jesus, flow fresh in our life, we pray, oh God. I pray for every person in this house who is seeking to know you, seeking to serve you. They are seeking to be useful in your hand. God, I pray for everybody here today who has something they can do. And they talk themselves down and they tell themselves it doesn't matter. And they give themselves excuses because after all, the cynicism of this hour is so much closer than the power of your presence. And it's so much natural to the flesh just to embrace that, oh God. But we're refusing that. We're choosing to be people of faith. We believe that through the church, your work can be done. We're believing that through our hands, your love can be demonstrated. We're believing that through our testimony, your faithfulness can be celebrated. Work among your people here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you take a moment right where you are? Our worship team's going to lead us. And would you have a sacred moment standing right here in the presence of God? Would you incline your heart toward God? And would you speak to him and let him speak to you right now in his name. We're so excited for what the Lord will do in the lives of ordinary people. God uses ordinary people. God works on the left hand. (laughs) God works on the left hand. Don't low rate your ability to make a difference. Can I have a big amen? Don't talk yourself out of being an encourager. Can I have another big amen? Don't talk yourself out of being an intercessor. Don't limit your ability because you're aware of some perfection or there's some shame in your past. I give myself an amen. God loves to work with ordinary people. God uses the Elizas. God uses the ordinary. God uses people like me. God uses... Low talent, ordinary, common people. So be used of God. Lord, walk with your people, I pray. Use them for your glory. Manifest your kingdom through us, I pray. Anoint this church. Anoint every volunteer group, every ministry team, every small group, every every effort of ministry. Uh, so easy for us to feel futile, but we pray against that, 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 attitude, that fear, that anxiety. We pray against that, Lord. We have to believe that we are tools in your hand and thus be used for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. One more time, put your hands together, lift your voice. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.